So while the kids are heading out, let me, let me quickly just say thank you to everyone who helped yesterday. Wasn't it a great day? Wasn't it a great time? You know, it was about 3.30 uh, where it started, 3 o'clock where it started to pour on us. Just downpour. And we were this close to having to come inside. But you know what? The Lord held it off and uh, really gave us some beautiful, beautiful weather. And uh, it was a great, we had a great turnout. But thank you to all, uh, whether you attended or helped. Uh, thank you to those who helped with all the stage work, hospitality, uh, manning a table outside with the setup or cleanup with the sound, and, and so much more. And if I missed you, please forgive me. Um, but thank you so much for, for all the help yesterday. It really was a great time. So today we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about prayer. So let me ask you a question before we start today. Do you believe that prayer really works? Do you believe that prayer really works? I read a story uh, a while ago of a country preacher who skipped church one Sunday to go bear hunting. Anybody ever been bear hunting before? And uh, so he's walking through the woods and he has his rifle with him. And, and he's kind of looking for a bear. And, and he has to walk around this one corner here. of a, It's kind of a cliff edge. And he kind of turns around and right there at the same time. You know when you walk around a corner and someone scares you? Right there is a bear. And he has his gun and he sees this bear. And he, go, he gets startled. And he goes, oh! And he throws his gun and he falls back. And he begins to roll down the cliff faster and faster. And he slams his legs on two rocks and both of his legs break. That's not the only problem. His rifle is way over there. That's not the only problem. There's a bear that's coming down the side of this cliff right towards him. Now see, the, the, the preacher, he, he, he's trying to think of what to do. And, and in those frantic situations, what do you do? But he, he begins to pray and he says, Dear God, please, I'm so sorry I skipped church today to go bear hunting. Please, please, please just grant me this one request. Turn the bear into a Christian. So the bear's coming down the mountain. And the preacher's praying. And the bear gets right up to where the preacher is. Holds its Big paws up in the air, falls down on its knees, clasps its paws together and says, Dear Lord, bless this meal I'm about to eat today. <laughs> Do you believe that prayer works? We've now spent about ten weeks looking at the book of James. And we're now coming to a close. Today is our last Sunday talking in this series on the book of James. And this is the most controversial part of the book. Actually, one commentator um, that I, I enjoy reading uh, mentioned that this is one of the most controversial passages in the whole New Testament. So as I was trying to uh, study this passage, and I, I have studied it in the past and looking at it, there are so many different perspectives. As a matter of fact, you can look up multiple different commentary authors and multiple different things and see this passage understood in different manners. Some depending on some theological bents and other things like that. And I remember one time I, I, I came across um, a perspective shared on this by one theologian. And it really resonated because I thought, you know, this, this is... 
This is what I believe the passage is truly saying. So we're going to look at some of the Greek words today. We're going to look at what was said and what I believe this passage is communicating with us. What I'd like to do this morning, a little bit different than what we normally do, would you stand with me and let's read it together. We'll read it together before we get into it today. I'll start us off. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years, and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and study your word, your truth. Father, may your truth be communicated clearly. May it be heard clearly. And God, may you receive all of the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was the famous author E.M. Bounds who writes on prayer who said what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you open to the book of James. James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? So we've we've talked uh, in in prior weeks about who James is writing to. James is writing to Jewish believers, and James spends a lot of time in this book talking about persecution and difficulty and trials, right? And, And the difficulty that Christians have in their lives. Is anyone suffering? Who is James writing to? He's writing to people who are suffering, who are in persecution. So listen, are you suffering, and what should your response be? You need to pray. Prayer needs to be your first reaction, not your last resort. Are you suffering in your life? Are you going through persecution? Are you in pain? Are you struggling with different difficulties? You need to pray about it. See, it's so easy for us to become frustrated and discouraged with things that happen in life. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's, it's, it's in a relationship or, or something else. And, and you struggle with that. And it's easy to come, to come home and to complain about it, right? Or to go to somebody else and start complaining, you know what, my life is so tough right now and, and, and here's the difficulty and here's what I'm going through. My question to you is, did you actually pray about it? Did you bring it before the throne of Almighty God? The one who is always listening. There's a story of, of three different preachers and they were having a, a meeting in, in one of the preacher's offices. 
And, and in, that, in that room are three preachers, and there's a man who was working back here on a telephone line. And they're discussing which posture is the best way to pray. And the one preacher says, well, my, my favorite way to pray is when I'm standing up straight. I just feel, I feel closest to God that way. And uh, that, that's just my favorite way. Another preacher says, no, 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 listen. My, my, my most effective way of praying is when I'm on my knees. That's, that's really when I can focus. And that's, that's when I really feel I'm calling out to God. And the next guy said, no, 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 no. Now see, my, my way is when I'm laying flat on the floor. Laying flat on the floor. And as they're continuing to discuss this, the, the, the guy that's working on the telephone line in the back, he, he looks and he says, excuse me, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but, but the time that I prayed my best is when I was hanging upside down on a telephone pole. And it's funny, but, but it's not at the same time, right? Because in, in, in the most difficult situations of life is when we truly cry out, I believe, with the most sincerity, Dear God, please help me in this situation. Is anyone suffering? Pray, pray, pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Yesterday we gathered together to sing praise to God, and, and it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day. Now, now it does say, it talks about Elisha praying for rain and stuff. I'm just kidding. But we, we look out. We look out. And I look in the back and I see all those kids playing together. Right? Did anybody else notice that yesterday? And it was a beautiful thing to see. It was a beautiful thing to see because what I saw yesterday was, was a worshiping and glorifying God. And, and, but, but the kids in the back, they were so cheerful and so joyful. And what a beautiful expression of God's goodness to us. We must rejoice in who God is. See, as believers, we are to live cheerful lives because we have so much to be joyful about, right? We have so much to be joyful about. The Bible says in Psalm 95.1, the psalm that we read as a part of our reading, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And I know we sometimes joke about those who can't sing make a joyful noise, right? But, but it's not just that. It's that when we sing, when we are praising God, it should be in a joyful way. There are times, there are times of solemn worship as well. Don't get me wrong. But the majority of our lives as believers should be that of joy. One of the things that my family likes to do when we get together is to sing. It's just something that we, something that we do. And uh, I remember one time we were all gathered together in Bolivia. It's really rare, it's really rare that we're all together in the same spot. Um, my grandparents, they live down in Georgia. My brother lives over in York, and that's not that bad. My parents live in Bolivia. My one sister might be moving to Brazil. So it, as you try and bring the whole family together, it just it very, very seldom happens. And the last time that I can remember that we were all close to being together, we weren't even all together, um, was a number of years ago. We were back in Bolivia. And I remember my dad, we were all sitting together in the living room on couches and, and just kind of visiting and talking. And, and my dad said, guys, let's, let's just thank the Lord. Let's just thank the Lord that we're all here together today. 
Let's realize what a blessing this is because this doesn't happen very often. Let's praise him that word together. And, and, you know, we would spend time as we were all gathered together and somebody would get out the guitar and somebody get out the ukulele and we'd just sing, sing songs together and praise God. If we are cheerful, brothers and sisters, we are to sing praise to Almighty God. See, the world should be able to tell that there's something different about you and part of it is your kingdom focus and your kingdom perspective which leads you from the place of, of being discouraged to a place of being joyful and cheerful and singing and declaring praises to God, even in the most difficult of situations. See, we as a church, we need to be cheerful and thankful in the small things. Because as you know, when you work on the small things, it really helps a lot with the big things, doesn't it? If you're cheerful in the little, it helps you to be cheerful and things that are more difficult to be cheerful about. One of the things that I remember growing up that was instilled in me, do you ever lose your keys before or your wallet? And uh, I, love, I love watching people, whenever I say that, spouses look at each other like this just about every time. And, uh, but you know, I, lose, I, lose, I used to lose my stuff all the time. And then Sarah got this little key rack for right in front of the door. And uh, now we, I hang them there, except for when I don't, and then I can never find them, right? But when you look and you spend all that time investing and in trying to find something, um, where are my keys? I can't find them. I can't start the car until I find my keys. i got to find them. And you grab them. It's like, oh, I remember it. I'm good. And you put them in your pocket and you go, no, what about if you grab them and you say, thank you, Lord, for helping me find them? Could have taken me another hour. Thank you, God, for that. I'm going to be cheerful in that. And I'm going to praise you for that. Or when you're trying to grab your wallet because you got to get out and you can't find your wallet anywhere. Is it the same thing with a purse? Ladies, do you ever misplace your purse? No? Yes, I have more yes, right? And when you find it, what do you say? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You develop an attitude of cheerfulness in your life. So if you're suffering, you need to pray about it. If you're cheerful, you need to sing praise about it. And then we get to the controversial part. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this word sick, is anyone among you sick, is the Greek word asineo, asineo. And asineo can mean sick. It's at times translated to be sick in the New Testament. It's also translated, its meaning is also to be weak, feeble, without strength, or powerless. See, when I, when I look at James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, I don't think it's referring to physical healing for physical illness. And I'll explain it here in a moment. Because as I look at the book of James, I see all of these things about persecution, about trials, and about difficulty. And then all of a sudden, there's two verses at the very end of chapter 5 that talk about physical illness. And that could be the case. There is an argument that could be made to why this is referring to physical healing. But yet I think there's a stronger argument to be made in a different way. This word asineo can be uh, interpreted to mean physical illness. It can also mean to be weak, feeble, without strength, or powerless. And the New Testament is translated at times to mean sick, but it also can refer to weakness. Look at 2 Corinthians 12.10. The word, well let's read, For the sake of Christ, then I am content. With weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, for when I am asineo, then I am strong. Do you understand? It can also refer to a weakness that exists in someone's life. We use this verse a lot, don't we? It's also the same word that's used in 2 Corinthians 13, 9. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. We are glad when, you, when we are aseneo, when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. And we're going to get to talking about restoration here in a moment because I believe this passage is all about spiritual restoration. Spiritual restoration. So is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is there anyone out there who is aseneo? Is there anyone out there who's weak? Is there anyone out there who's suffering, who doesn't feel like they can go on anymore, who's struggling so much in their lives? They've hit rock bottom. There's nowhere else to go. Is there anyone out there who feels that way? Is there anyone out there who feels like they're at the end of their rope, they're in a terrible place, you're spiritually weak? You're to go to the overseers of your church. Is there anyone out there who's asaneo? Let him call for the elders of the church. Why the elders? Why the elders? Well, Scripture tells us, and I believe that the elders of Mount Vernon are this. They're to be mature in their faith. They're to meet the qualifications set in Titus and Timothy. They're the spiritual overseers of the body. They're to be living righteously and seeking God with sincerity. If you find yourself in a complete state of weakness, maybe it's that your marriage is in a terrible situation, or, or something else is just not going right in your life. You're in a, in a not walking right with God. You need to go to the elders of your church and ask them to pray over you now now why are they to pray over you that's the next question i believe it's because it can they can give it can give you strength and encourage you have you ever been prayed over by someone before who just wanted to bless you now i'm not talking about someone that says they have this magic power that they're casting on you that's not what i'm talking about at all today talking about a brother or sister who comes up to you and says, you know, I just want to pray for you today, and I want to pray that God will encourage you and God will strengthen you. The Bible says that a prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I can't tell you how many times I've been told by someone who's walking through difficulty in their life, whether it's a loss of a loved one or or some type of illness or whatever it would be, and I say, you know, the family at Mount Vernon is praying for you. I'm praying for you. And they say, I know. I know. I can feel it. Something's different. I know. God's presence with me is so clear. And I believe it's attributed to the believers that are continuing to pray for me and the peace that I have. Go to the elders and to have them pray over you. Notice whose responsibility here it is, right? It's the responsibility of the person who is struggling to go and find the elders. It's not the responsibility of the elders to be looking around for the person who is struggling. This individual is to go and to call for the elders of the church and have them pray over him. And then we get anointing with oil. That's the word alifal. Alifal. Now, this is not used in a ceremonial sense, but in a sense of refreshment. The oil symbolizes restoration. Restoration. See, the spiritual overseers, the elders of the church, are in a ministry of restoration. over those who are weak, over those who are sick. The ministry of the spiritual overseers of the church is a ministry of prayer. We go to Acts chapter 6. 
Therefore, brothers, pick among you seven men of good repute, full of a spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this is how it's supposed to work. You're a part of the congregation. You're a part of the assembly. And you're struggling in your life. You've hit rock bottom. Maybe it's that your marriage just doesn't feel like it's working anymore. Maybe it's that you have walked away from the truth. Maybe, and there's, there's other things that we could also include in this. And you realize that you're in a place of living in sin. And you're not sure what to do about it. Scripture tells that you are to go to the overseers of your church. And you are to ask them to pray over you. Anointing with oil. And, and I'm not even sure, as I look at this, that, that oil is required as much as it symbolizes restoration. See, if I told you, I want you to come and, I want you to come and uh, we're going to pray for you at our next elder meeting because you came and you shared something with me. And, and you know, we're going to pray for you. And, and in order to, to make you feel restored, one of the elders, we're not sure which one, will do eeny, meeny, miny, moe, is going to massage some oil on your head. You're probably going to say, you know what, I'll come to the next elder meeting, right? I'll come to the next elder meeting. It's a symbol of restoration. See, I think the, the, the oil is more of, of, of symbolizing the ministry of, of restoration that exists as the spiritual overseers of the church. Now listen, we want you to come in and we're going to pray over you. And we want you to know that we're praying for you as you walk in this journey. We want to encourage you in your journey. You can leave that meeting knowing the spiritual leaders of your assembly are praying for you. Why? Because the prayer of a righteous man, the Bible says, is powerful and effective. You know, we, see, we say and, and we confess and, and we declare that we believe in prayer. And when I said, do you believe in prayer, I saw a lot of heads going like this. But we've seen a tremendous decline in prayer in churches across this country. And I'm talking about this country because this is what I see. There's not the same emphasis put on the corporate gathering of believers to pray that there used to be. As a matter of fact, prayer meetings used to be similarly packed to Sunday morning. People realized that there was a great importance in prayer. But now prayer meetings are attended by the smallest parts of a congregation. Why is that? Why is there a large drop in the corporate gathering of believers setting aside time from their week to gather together and to pray? I think that the continued drop in moral integrity in this nation cannot be separated from the dropping in prayer that we see happening in our churches. See, our job, brothers and sisters, is to pray. That's one of the things we've been told to do is to come before Almighty God on behalf of our brothers and sisters to bring our requests and other things. We're, we're to pray for leaders and authority and, and to go on and on. Yet how much do we pray? We nod that we believe it, but sometimes the only time when we really come to the Lord in prayer is when we're suffering. Does anybody remember the singer Bob Carlyle? Bob Carlyle. Remember? He had a song called On My Knees. Now, his, his famous, one of his famous songs was Butterfly Kisses. Does anybody know Butterfly Kisses? Everybody nods Butterfly Kisses. Bob Carlyle also wrote a song called On My Knees. Here's what he said. I can stand tall on my knees. I can see forever on my knees. I can face it all. I feel like I can climb a mountain. Because on my knees, the world's a little smaller, and I stand a little taller on my knees. Let me read it again. I can stand tall on my knees. 
I can see forever on my knees. I can face it all. I feel like I can climb a mountain because on my knees the world's a little smaller and I stand taller on my knees. Let me encourage you today. If you believe that prayer works, make sure to make that a part of your spiritual discipline in your life. To come before Almighty God on a regular basis. And to not just do it alone, but for look for opportunities where you can pray together with believers. We are to do that. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here we're given sick again, but this is not the word asaneo. This is the word kamno, and it's used three times in the New Testament. This is the only time that it's used and translated sick. The other times that it's used, it is translated weary. So Hebrews 12, 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow kamno, weary, or faint-hearted. It's also used in Revelation. I don't have it up there. 2, 3. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. You have not grown kamno. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is Weary. The prayer of faith will save the one who is weak. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, then, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You know, it's easy to read into this and, and look at something of accountability. We talk about accountability, iron sharpening iron, and some people might have accountability partners they talk about with different things in life, but that's not exactly what this is talking about. This is talking about if you have sinned against someone else in the assembly of believers, you need to make it right. If you have wronged someone, make it right. But we're good with confession, right? But, but sometimes, sometimes we're not always good with following through with the praying part, right? Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that to you. That wasn't right, and I wronged you in this way. Oh, it's all good, man. Don't worry about it. No, James says, listen, if, if you've sinned against someone, pray with them. Pray for them that you may be healed, that there could be a restoration in that relationship. You know, it's, it's crazy to me, but it's true, and you know it too, that churches are known for holding grudges, right? Something happens, and some people leave. And we can't find it in our hearts to forgive them. We all know what it's like to hold a grudge. But holding a grudge is a sinful thing. The Bible is very clear in 1 John 2.11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he's going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, we are to set the difference. We are to be the difference, brothers and sisters. And we are to set the example. This is referring to the emotional healing that comes with confession and praying for one another. But I look out, and as I look at our world, and I look at the situations that are going on, where is the example set for how people are to live their lives? Where is it supposed to be set? And we've talked about this before. You've heard me say this. We are the ones who are to set the example based on the word of God. People should look at the church and say, there's something different about those guys. There's something different about the way that they act, the way that they talk, the way that they treat one another. There's something different about them. They were just, did, did you see how, how, how he was wronged, yet how he forgave? So you don't see politicians doing this. 
Your favorite celebrities probably don't do this. Who sets the example? We are the ones that are set the example, church. It's us. The Bible says in John 13, 35, By this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We set the example by our love for one another, not by our grudges. And then James moves on and he talks about this man by the name of Elijah. He says, listen, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What does that mean? It means Elisha was also a sinner. Right? Elisha was also a sinner. And he prayed fervently. And I want to stop right there before we move anything else. And look at the word that comes right after the word prayed. He prayed fervently. He prayed fervently. The Bible says, uh, I'm sorry, Webster says. Webster is not the Bible. Webster defines the word fervently by marked by great intensity of feeling. Elisha prayed with all that he was. All that he had. That it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Do we pray fervently? I know I don't always. There are times when I uh, maybe feel that just getting the words out of my head are, are enough and I really don't have to mean it. Or maybe I mean it, but I feel like as long as I say a prayer that I've accomplished what I should be doing. Lord, please help this person. They're sick. Okay, I prayed for him. Or are we praying fervently? God, I've been asked on behalf of my brother or sister to come before you and bring this person to you. And Lord, with all that I am, today I come before you and I ask, Lord, that you would bring healing in their life. Lord, I pray that you would bring restoration in their life. And God, I truly mean it. With all that I am, it's not just something I'm saying. It's from my heart. We're given the example of a man who was also a sinner, yet prayed fervently. James then steps away from this, and I, I don't believe he completely steps away, but he says this. My brothers, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James here is warning about people that leave the assembly. He's not talking about people out in the world. He's saying, my brothers, if anyone among you, if anyone among you, he's writing to Jewish believers, if anyone among you wanders. And there are different reasons that people wander, right? Uh, But if anyone among you wonders and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Charles Spurgeon writes the following, and I, I felt like it was just so beautifully put. He said, this speaks powerfully of the restoration that is possible for those who have sinned. He says, I know men of good standing in the gospel ministry who ten years ago fell into sin. And that is thrown in our teeth to this very day. Do you speak of them? You're at once informed. Why, ten years ago they did such and such a thing. Brethren, Christian men ought to be ashamed of themselves for taking notice of such small thing, of such things so long afterwards. 
True, we may use more caution in our dealings, but to reproach a fallen brother for what he did so long ago is contrary to the spirit of John, who went after Peter three days after he had denied his master with oaths and curses. There's restoration for the wandering believer before the feet of Almighty God. So today, if you're suffering, pray. If, if you're cheerful, sing praises to God. If you're weak, if you've hit rock bottom, call on the elders of the church. Ask them to pray over you that you may be restored. Let's pray together. Father God, we know that we all walk through difficult valleys in life. And we thank you for giving us a family to walk through life with. Father, as you look at this passage in James, it is a difficult one to completely understand. Lord, I pray for the person out here today who is suffering, and I pray, Lord, that you would bring them to a place of fervently praying before you. I pray for the person today, Lord, who is cheerful. Father, I pray you encourage them to sing your praise. For the person who's hit rock bottom, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to seek the elders, that we could pray with them and encourage them. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in the way that we live. Help us to set the example for the rest of the world. Father, we, without even me saying, we know this world's a dark place. We know that many people are lost, have no idea what's going on. The Bible says that the road to heaven is a narrow road. I think sometimes we, we get it confused and, and, and think of it as a wider road because there's so many denominations and so many different churches. But, but Lord, the scripture clearly tells us it's a very narrow road. Help us to clearly communicate the gospel that you would be glorified. Help us to be a place where restoration occurs, that you would be glorified. Lord, may we be a place of forgiveness, that you may be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray.